thank you for that. Man, I appreciate that song. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians this morning, chapter number three, and I'm so thankful that God looks beyond our faults, our failures, and just sees what it is we need, and we certainly need Him this morning, and so thank you for that song. Uh, boy, already we've had a, a great day, and I know many uh, have already started eating, and then, you know, I went down there and I started smelling the food, and I promise you that will speed a sermon up right there. And, uh, and then Brother Bill already said the way to really get things moving is just to say amen and stay engaged. And uh, so, yeah, amen, I like it. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. No, I'm just kidding, amen. But uh, I want us to look here in Colossians this morning, and uh, we're in our final uh, sermon for the Family Matters series. And uh, as I mentioned, thank you for uh, giving us uh, the opportunity just to share a little bit more about our family uh, over the last five weeks, all the home videos and just the interviews, and uh, we did that so you could get to know us better, uh, but uh, when it comes to maybe talking about family and all that, we want to go to the Word of God and just look and see what God's Word says, and uh, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3 and in verse number 13. The Bible says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. Now we're going to look in Ephesians chapter number 5. And this passage of scripture gives a little bit of a definition of the role of husband, wife, children. Let's look in Ephesians 5 verse 21. The Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord for the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are the members of his body, his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now this morning I want to look at this thought of how to solve family conflict. How to solve family conflict. Father, we thank you for every person that's gathered today. Thank you for letting us be here. Lord, we just praise you for your goodness, for your mercy and your grace. Father, we love you. We just want to say thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the word of God that we can go to to find help in every issue of life. And Father, I pray for a few moments you would speak to hearts. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we started this series, we talked about how to build solid families, how to build solid, to put Christ 
at the center of our family. If we're going to have strong families, and if family does matter, then Christ has to be at the very center of our family. If not, our families will collapse. They'll collide under pressure. And so we have to build solid. But the second week, we talked about building sacred. Align your values with Christ. When we put Christ at the center, it means that that we become a believer in Jesus Christ and He's now the center of our lives. And what we value needs to be aligned with Jesus Christ. It's the mortar that holds us together. And so not only do we build solid, but we build sacred. And then the third week, which was Mother's Day, we talked about a man who was influenced by two. And and we looked at the mother's influence and and how an influence can, can really make a difference in a child's life and how you can shape that child not only to make a difference in your family but in society itself and so the influence of a mother to a child is so important and then last week we talked about the family agenda uh, how you solve the calendar problem by setting the right priorities in your family oftentimes we'll set a calendar we'll set a budget and we'll put all these things in there and yet we oftentimes neglect to put the most important sacred things that really should be in the calendar of a believer that should be in the calendar of those families that are intentionally trying to structure their home to build up a strong family. Now this morning we want to talk about how to solve conflict. Now it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, all of us are going to have some kind of conflict in our families. I remember a few years ago I was preaching and I was talking about relationships and husband and wives and I said I've never met a husband and wife that hasn't had some kind of disagreement or some kind of an argument and somebody in the back spoke up and said we never have. Well, I had just went to their house a few weeks before that. They had invited us over for dinner. And while we were there, I guarantee they argued at least seven or eight times. And so I realized maybe I need to redefine what conflict is. It can just be a minute argument, but we all have little conflicts. If you don't think so, try to take a family on vacation somewhere. You go to get in the car and you're getting prepared to go and you give all the instructions and one of the things that you tell your kids is go to the bathroom because we don't want to stop for a while. And without fail, 30 minutes down the road, somebody will say, I need to go to the bathroom. And you'll say, I thought we told you to go. I didn't have to go then. And now 30 minutes later, we have to stop. Or next thing you know, you're going down the road and you find out we forgot this or we forgot that. Or one time we were going on family vacation. One of the things we were going to do is we were going to just enjoy a bunch of swimming. And we got there and one of the boys said, I forgot my swim clothes. What'd you think we were coming to do? Conflict happens. Now, those are minor conflicts, but sometimes it's greater conflicts that arise within the family. Conflicts between marriages, conflicts between parents and children, between siblings, and on and on we could go. And our desire ought to be to let the peace of Christ rule in our lives. How how do we get peace? How do we get harmony? How do we get to a place where where we're actually having uh, Christ rule and reign in our family and in our marriages so that there is consistent harmony? Now, I want you to notice there are three circles of conflict. There's three, three circles of conflict. The first one is inner conflict. Imagine two souls locked up in one body fighting for dominance. Inner conflict is the most painful and mentally exhausting human burden that ravishes even the, the calmest of hearts. And, and that turmoil within, uh, you call, it's called inner conflict. And, and it's something humans have unfortunately created by themselves. And oftentimes we struggle with things in our own mind. We, we began to make up things. We began to think things because we have this inner conflict going on in our own life. And we began to imagine things. And we began to find ourselves afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of all because we 
put something into our mind and we have this inner battle, this inner conflict that's going on and people are trying to figure out, why am I so burdened? Why am I so bothered? Why am I having this struggle inside my mind? There are people who are literally at war within themselves. We, we so often struggle because uh, our conflict uh, uh, that we have created within our own minds, it's our own fault that we've allowed this to come in there. And, and sometimes the devil knows how to use that inner conflict and, and, and he'll put things out there. And sometimes you'll be going along and you'll see somebody kind of talking to somebody else and all of a sudden you walk by and, and they quit talking and you think, they're talking about me. And they weren't talking about you at all. Or, or you'll, you'll see the way somebody looks at you and you'll say, I, I think they really actually have a problem with me. And we begin to have these inner conflicts. The second conflict is marriage conflict, marital conflict. Marital conflict is not, not just a difference of opinion. Rather, it's a, a series of events that have been poorly handled so as to deeply damage the marriage relationship. Marriage issues have festered to the point that stubbornness and pride and anger and hurt and bitterness prevent effective marriage communication. Listen, it's important in our marital relationships to have good communication with each other. Sometimes people say, you know, I'm just struggling today with you. I, I just, I need, to be, I need to be away from you right now. Now, I would ask the question, but in the first service, everybody here, they, they just serving God. They don't have any problems, so I won't ask at this service. You ever just needed to get away from your spouse for a little bit because there was conflict? I just need a break. By the way, if you men don't understand, that's why your wife says, I just need to go shopping for a while. Amen. She's saying, I need to get away from you. But marital conflict happens. Sometimes those relationships and those struggles. The third one is family conflict. When families get together, we hope for fun times characterized by love and bonding, but we often find that family conflicts occur during these times as well. In fact, the, the, in most families, there's a long-standing pattern of interaction and roles that people traditionally play within these interactions. There's just things that, that keep coming up, and when adult children get together with family, they often find themselves slipping back into those patterns, something uh, laughingly referred to as revertigo. They go back to maybe patterns that they experience as kids, things that they've overcome and they get back to that same atmosphere around the same people and they start doing the same things. And oftentimes these interactions can be positive, but when they go negative, they begin to bring high amounts of stress to a family gathering. And that's why sometimes it's stressful for some people to go around their family. You're like, I can handle it for a little bit, but I can't be there very long. And we see this family conflict that oftentimes arises Conflict in the family is impacted by unresolved conflict. Uh, we see conflict in marriage oftentimes is because of un, uh, unresolved communication issues. And, and oftentimes we, we even see these things often lead into what we find conflict that we're dealing with in ourselves. And so these conflicts that arise, Jesus, by the way, is the death blow to the pressure within Having Christ in our life and being filled with the Holy Spirit is so important to help us war these conflicts, to battle against these conflicts that will come. And listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how hard you strive to, to be nice and kind. Conflicts are going to arise. There are times when, when you're doing everything right and conflict still comes to you. I, I mean, you, you've been kind, you've been nice, and somebody gets mad at you and you're thinking, what did I do? Conflict is a part of life. So how do we handle conflict? There are three spheres of communication that I think is important for us to understand. The first one is what you say. The words you actually use account for about 7% of how your message is actually heard. The words you use are important, but oftentimes people don't catch the words you use because of two other things. The second one is how you say it. 
your tone of voice communicates about 23% of your message. So in other words, it's important how you say it. Anybody ever have a parent that by the tone of their voice you knew that they were serious? You know, back now we live in a day and time where we count to three for our kids and then we still don't do anything. If you don't stop doing that, on the count of three, one, two, three. Now, I'm being serious. If you don't stop, and that kid's like, you ain't being serious. What are you talking about? You count three all the time. My dad just had this tone that when he just said, here's how he got my attention. He would say my whole name, Benjamin David. When he said that, I knew that I better pay attention to the words that he was saying. I knew that I better catch what he had to say. Do I have any preacher's kids in here? I got a few of them here today. You PKs understand what I'm talking about. My dad preaching in church, he'd be preaching. Somehow he'd be able to catch when I wasn't paying attention or when I was talking to a friend. He'd catch it and he would give me that eye. Oh man, that would scare me. He would give me that eye because the third thing is not only what you say or how you say it, but it's the way you look when you say it. Your body language and actions communicates up to 70% of the message that is heard. My dad would, would catch me with that eye and I got the message very clear. Matter of fact, I used to pray at that point, Lord, please come back before this service is over. If not, I'm probably coming to heaven, amen. One time my grandfather was preaching away and preaching and my dad was sitting towards the back of the auditorium with some of his friends and he was chatting away and talking and my dad stopped, I mean, my grandfather stopped in the middle of the service and said, Ken, get up to the front. And my dad came up and walked up and sat on the front row by my grandma and my grandpa said, no, no, I said the front and he made him come sit right here on the front of the platform. And my grandpa goes to preaching away, and every time he'd go this way towards the, this side of the auditorium, his friends back there were laughing and snickering, thinking it was funny because he got in trouble. And my grandpa caught a glimpse of it. He said, oh, boys, don't worry about it. I'll have a conversation with your dad after church, too. <laughs> and he did. My dad said on the way out, my grandfather told their dad, said, now, I'll be disciplining Ken really good. I expect you'll do the same with your boys. <laughs> they said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. How we say it, but the way we look. The Bible must be our final authority in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. So it's important when we think about that. When it comes to family conflict, discussion is about what is right. Argument is about who is right. It's important to understand the difference. When we handle conflict in, in, the, in the right way, it will change the way we deal with conflict. When we handle it in this, in this perspective, it's not about who is right, but it's about what is right. It changes the way we deal with things. So let me give you four steps to solving conflict. By the way, I, I will say this. Conflict is preventable today, but we see it is prevalent today. If you get on Facebook or if you get on YouTube and you start watching videos, you'll see all kinds of videos of conflict. There are videos of road rage like never before. There are videos of, of fights, even shootings, all kinds of things happening because people don't know today how to handle conflict. Now, I don't know that the world's going to really catch this message, but for you and I as God's children, we need to make sure we handle conflict when it comes our way in a biblical fashion. We need to understand what God's Word says about conflict. So how do we handle it? The first thing we've got to do is determine what is righteous. 
Righteousness means in human standards, it's defined as the quality of being morally true or justifiable. The justification is made according to the conformity of behavior with the regulation or construction in the context of a nation or its laws. In a deeper spiritual meaning, it means this. Righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God, including character or nature, conscience or attitude, conduct or your action, and the command, which is the word. In other words, we're to live righteous lives. Righteousness is therefore based upon God's standards because he's the ultimate lawgiver. So we must determine what is righteous. How do we find out what is righteous? We go to the word of God. We began to get in the Word of God to find out what does God say about what is right and what is wrong. What is righteous? When we understand righteous, we understand this, that you and I, listen, in and of ourselves, there's nothing righteous within us apart from Christ. And so if we just go based on our feelings, people oftentimes say, I just don't feel like doing that. I don't know about you. When I was growing up as a kid, my parents would tell me to do something. I learned never to say I don't feel like doing that. That's not a good argument to your parents. You should clean your room. I don't really feel like it. Well, let me give you that feeling so you'll feel like it. Amen. <laughs> it's not based on feelings because our feelings, our emotions will stare us wrong in and of ourselves. It's about going back to God's word and saying, God, what is right? We handle conflict first by determining what is righteous, what is right, what does God say about this? But the second thing, if we're going to deal with conflict, not only are we going to have to deal with understanding what is righteous, but we have to know what is unrighteous, what's not right. If we look at the Bible, the Bible begins to talk about how the, the devil's the author of confusion. We live in a day and time where there's so much confusion and there's so much conflict and there's so much contention going on. And, and we see that there is so much uh, of people misleading and leading people away from the truth from God's word. We have to understand what is unrighteous. Listen, when there is a spirit of division, when there's a spirit of dissension, that's not coming from God. So if you're battling, if you're having conflict with somebody else, God didn't put that in you. If, if, if you have bitterness and hatred, God didn't put that in you. Now, I'm going to cross a line for a minute this morning. Listen, you know, we hear it said all the time, we're, we're to hate the sin, love the sinner. But sometimes it's easy for us to start hating people because we don't understand the difference. Do you know the person that you hate or the person you despise or the person that you have bitterness with, they were also a person created by God? They were also put here for a purpose. You say, but they're a total jerk. Guess what? God loved us when we were unlovable. Now I want you to catch it. If we were to think about who is the, who, who's in the who's like the most evil, wicked person that's ever lived, I would say probably in the top five of everybody's lifts would be a guy named Hitler. Would you agree with me? Vile person, ungodly things he did. And let me just help you with something. His his uh, unrighteousness and our unrighteousness in God's eyes were all equal. In other words, we didn't have anything righteous to offer God. We were so unrighteous. We were so unjust. Now, I know you and I would never even be able to fathom doing some of the things he did. It was so wicked and awful. But what I'm saying is, apart from Christ, we are unrighteous people. And left to our own devices, left to our own self, we'll do unrighteous things. 
Now, some of us may have a, a, a little bit of a, a, a better moral standard. Some people were taught right at, at a young age. Some people listened to the, to the uh, uh, inner voice that says you shouldn't do those things. But there's some people who've went extreme far. But we have to get to God's Word and understand what is righteous and understand what is unrighteous and know that if we're going to solve family conflict, we can't keep doing those things that God's Word says are not right. We can't resolve our family issues by doing those things that we've always done before. Sometimes we inherit bad manners from our family. It doesn't mean they were bad people. They just maybe never were taught, never learned, uh, never uh, took the time to learn these things. And sometimes we inherit these bad manners. And what we've got to ask ourselves is the things we're doing to help our family, are, are we doing them because they were passed down to us or are we doing them because God's word says these are the right things to do? There is a difference. I love my family with all my heart, but one of the things I'm thankful for is they told me at a young age, get in God's word and don't just take our word for it. Find out what God's word says because this is where we find right and wrong. This is where we find truth and untruth. This is where we find what we're to do. So if we're going to resolve family conflict, we, we've got to determine what's righteous. We've got to know what's unrighteous. The third thing is somebody has to repent. In other words, somebody has to say, I'm sorry. You know why most conflicts never get resolved? Because the two parties, neither one of them want to step out and say, I am wrong. I'm sorry. It's this constant battle, this constant struggle. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, we like to accuse the men uh, of being stubborn. But, but sometimes ladies can hold a grudge too. And we get mad at somebody for something they said or something they did. It's kind of like, Growing up, they said with boys, with brothers, they get mad at each other. They duke it out, and five minutes later, they were best friends. Sisters sometimes could carry a grudge for weeks if they want to because there is an emotional battle like nothing else. But there's this conflict, this grudge, this battle that takes place, and somebody has to say, I'm sorry. Isn't it amazing when you go to Scripture and you find... The Bible says we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. But it's so hard sometimes to say, I'm sorry. You say, preacher, I wasn't the one that did it. You, you know what? It, it, oftentimes, oftentimes the person that did the wrong isn't the one that usually first says, I'm sorry. You know who usually does it? The person who's seeking to be released from the anger and frustration of the battle that's in play. So if we're gonna if we're gonna resolve family conflict, we have somebody has to repent. Let me give this last one. Somebody has to forgive. When we forgive others, there's freedom. We're no longer shackled by our own anger when we let it go. People sometimes they'll get mad, they'll get angry, it'll turn to bitterness, and they'll despise somebody. And that person they despise doesn't even know that they have problems with them. And all that that's doing is it's like a cancer eating within yourself. You're holding that conflict in. And, and if you want to be released from that, just forgive. You say, but you don't understand what they did to me. Do you remember what we did to God? Do you remember what we deserve and yet God, for Christ's sake, forgave us according to Scripture? We must learn to forgive. Back in World War II, there was a, a pilot who was flying over to Japan. They were going to bomb Japan, and they were heading that direction. And while they got over the, the country of Japan, their planes got shot down, and he survived the crash, and he ended up getting taken prisoner. As he was taken prisoner, 
They put him into consolatory confinement. They would beat him daily for the 40 months that he was in prison. 36 of those months, he was in consolatory confinement. And they would take him only out for a little bit of time each day to beat him. They would starve him. And it was just brutal when he got to a place in his mind where he said, there's no way there can be a God that would allow this to happen. And he just almost went to full insanity, all that was going on. He was so bitter, so frustrated, hated everything about the people that had captured him. And he was struggling until one day, he said, after he'd been beat, they brought him back into his little cell. And he said he began to think about a scripture that his mom used to share with him. And he asked the guard, could I have a Bible? And for three weeks, the guard said no. Finally, the guard gave him a Bible, and he said, I began to open the Bible, and for a little bit of time, they let me have it. I would read as much as I could, and I would try to memorize all that I was reading and just let that flow through my mind and flow through my head until one point, uh, one day, he was sitting there, and he said, I gave my life to Jesus and said, Lord, I don't know if I'll ever get out of here, but please free me from the sin that has enslaved my life. And he asked the Lord to come in his life and save him, and he said it changed him. Now, he was still a captive. He was still being beat. But it changed his attitude, it changed his heart. And he said, I began to see these people differently. That man, his name was Jacob DeShazer. Jacob was rescued and he came back to the United States and he enrolled in Bible college. And he said, God's called me to be a missionary to Japan. I've got to go back to those people that beat me, those people that had me in prison, those people that for a time I could not stand, I hated. He said, I have to go back and tell them the greatest news that can set any person free, the news that set me free. And he said, I went back to him, and one day a reporter said, how could you go back to these people? He said, it's real simple. He said, all I had to do was one thing, and it made it easy to do that. He said, what is it? And this reporter's waiting for something special. What is he going to say? And he said, it was real easy. He said, all I had to do was forgive him. And he said, when I forgave him, everything else fell in place. Hey, listen, when we learn to forgive, it helps us resolve our family conflict. We've got to understand that family matters to the Lord. And because he's instituted the family and he's told us this is important to him, we must follow scripture. We must put Christ at the center of our marriages, of our homes. We've got to put him first and and let him have his, his place in our lives so that we can be what he wants us to be. I'm convinced in, in this church, if, if just the, the, the couples that, that represent our church, if, if they would build their relationship on Christ and the families that represent their church, if they'd build their families upon the things of God and the word of God, if we would do that, we could have such an impact to our community that they would recognize there's something different about our relationships and they would start being a, a little more inquisitive, wanting to know what is going on, what's the difference, why is it that even though you have conflict, you always seem to be able to resolve it? You can tell them it's because Christ takes first place in all of our lives. This is why in Scripture he says not to be unequally yoked together. Sometimes it's hard in a relationship with two if they're not both striving to serve Christ. We resolve our family conflict by going back to this book. Matter of fact, God gives us some clear teaching about how we resolve any kind of conflict. If you have conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, it says you're to go to them. Not to everybody else and tell everybody else the problem you have with them. You're to go to them. And if that doesn't work, the Bible says, then you take two or three witnesses and you go back to them. And if that doesn't work, and they give steps on how we deal with conflict. All through Scripture, it talks about that. You say, but preacher, you don't know what they did to me. Let me give you one thing and I'm done. You remember a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul? Anybody remember him? One of my favorite stories was Paul and Silas 
have been beaten. I mean beaten. Thrown into prison. And this is how serious it was. They told the, the, the main guard of the prison, said, you make sure that they are fast and secure. In other words, if they get out, it's on you. And they would have taken this guy's life if these guys escaped. They put him in there, and what does the Bible say? After being beaten, after all they went through, they're in there praising God and singing and just rejoicing over the goodness of God. Does that sound like the attitude of somebody that's bitter at the people that's just beat them? You say, well, maybe. Now, let me help you out. The scripture goes on to say, an earthquake hit at midnight. The bands, the chains fell off. They could have taken off. The doors are open. And the, the main guard that was over it, he's about to take his own life because he knows it would be much easier to get rid of his life than to go through what they're going to put him through for letting these prisoners go, even though it wasn't his fault. And as he's about to do this, Paul says, hey, hey, don't do that. We're all still here. And to this guard's amazement, they're all still in prison. They haven't ran out. And then Paul begins to minister to this guy. And the Bible says that night, not only did he get saved, but his entire house came to know Jesus Christ as a result of somebody who, listen, didn't get mad, didn't get bitter because he was mistreated. No, he kept serving Christ no matter what came his way. And you know what Paul found out that night? Even being beaten, put in prison, God had a plan that he'd be able to use him to bring people to Christ. Hey, when we recognize that, that God's got something for us, it'll change our attitude. Lord, help our families not just to matter, but help us to really matter. Help us to matter enough that we do all we can to strengthen our families in Christ, but help us to matter enough that our families make a difference to others around us. Help us to matter enough that our, our marital relationship impacts others in a positive way. Help us to matter enough that we please you in all that we do. If family matters to God, then it should matter to us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you have put all through Scripture about the importance of not only of our family relationship, but Lord, you've also put in there how we solve the family conflict that comes our way. You've given us a way to resolve it. And Lord, I pray that we'd be obedient to your word in following scripture so that our families can be healthy, so they can be holy, so that they can be honoring to you. Lord, just bless this time, we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just a minute. Listen, just a, a short invitation today. But if God spoke to your heart, I invite you to come. Maybe you're here today and You've never given your life to Christ. I want to invite you to come. Make him Lord and save your life. You'll have all this inner conflict within you until you make that priority. Jesus must be Lord of your life. Maybe you're here today and, and you're just going through some trials and some struggles and there's just some battles going on. Understand that God is able to take all those burdens, those cares off your shoulders and he will carry them for you. Maybe you're here today and Maybe you've had conflict with your family. Let, I want to let you know God can, he can handle that too. Or maybe you're here today and you just want God to strengthen your family. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come this morning. As, as we stand together, we're going to sing. The altar's open. You need to come. Won't you?